Let's meet together tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I, I hope you'll be back again Sunday morning. Uh, we'll have the second installment uh, in our Nehemiah series. And um, we read, uh, we left off reading uh, last Sunday morning, verse 4, chapter 1, where Nehemiah was so burdened about the condition of uh, Jerusalem uh, that he sat down, it says, and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to study the, the uh, subject of prayer uh, Sunday morning and uh, we're going to look at it from uh, Nehemiah's aspect and some things that we can learn uh, from Nehemiah's prayer and even into chapter 2. Um, at how God answered uh, his prayer. And so I hope that you'll uh, be here with us. We're going to have a little, uh, gonna have a little fun uh, at the beginning of the message and the introduction. And so I'll just leave it at that. But uh, um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to uh, entail beating things. And so I'll just leave it there and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. So. I didn't say beating people, I said beating things, and um, so be here for that. In our last time together, we started looking at uh, the opening verses of Ecclesiastes 7, and uh, some statements that that really, uh, at face value, are, are really hard to take. I mean, they're just really hard to process. You, you look at them, and, and it's like, yeah, and I don't know. Uh, for example, the first one that we considered is that burial is better than birth. Look at uh, verse 1 again. He said, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of of one's birth. Of course, we spend a significant amount of time uh, talking about that. But here's here's conclusion we came to is whether or not this verse is actually the case for us depends on how we choose to live our life. Remember, on the day that we're born, we get the name that our parents give us. But on the day that we die, we die with the name that we've made for ourselves. And so, if we've lived a good life and a life that's honored God, um, then certainly the day of our death can be better as far as our name is concerned with respect to the the day of our birth. In verses 2 through 4, The next thing we considered is that mourning, uh, being sad, uh, lamenting, um, is better than merriment. And as I said then, Solomon is is not opposed to singing, he's not opposed to laughter, he's not opposed to having a good time, but he is realistic enough to know that very little is learned about life 
in those moments. When we're laughing and, 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 and enjoying one another's presence and, and we're, we're singing and, and we're having a great time and everything's good, um, seldom do we really learn anything of significance about life in those moments. It's in times of sorrow and sadness that God chooses to teach us life's most valuable lessons. And so mourning can be better than merriment. So let's, let's pick up tonight in verses 5 and 6 where we learn that correction is better than commendation. Correction is better than commendation. Look at verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the cracking of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. I read that and I, I wondered to myself if maybe Solomon was was recalling some of his father's words. Um, David wrote in Psalm 141, verse 5, Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, and it shall be excellent oil, which shall not break my head. I think it was Mark Twain who once said, I can live two months on a good compliment. I mean, let's be honest tonight. Who doesn't like a good compliment? Ladies, which one of you here does not like it when somebody says, oh man, I love your hair. I haven't had that comment in years. <laughs> but I have had, even this week in Arizona, preacher, I love your glasses. These glasses were not my choice. They were my family's choice. They don't, they keep sliding down on my nose, and I don't get into all that. But I, I like good compliments. Man, Pastor, I really love that tie. I'm a tie guy. Um, I get rid of three and buy five. I mean, it's, I'm a tie guy. My wife has shoes. I have ties. And uh, so, so we like a good compliment. And that, that choir song was good. That offertory was good. And, and, and all of us, man, you did a good job. And, and we like that. I mean, I like that far more than being corrected. Can I get a witness right there? Absolutely. But while a good compliment and arousing commendation will be more to our liking, a word or two of well-delivered, well-meaning criticism will do more for our learning. I mean, the bottom line is sometimes we need people, well-meaning, loving, caring people, to speak into our lives, even if the things they speak are things we don't like. Even if they're things we don't want to hear, sometimes we need those things. We don't always need to be patted on the back and praised when we need to be corrected we need to be corrected and while none of us loves a critic 
if, if we can just get past the feel-good factor and the need to have our egos constantly stroked, then we will realize the life-changing truth that life isn't always about feeling good. Take the story of Conrad Hilton, of Hilton Hotels fame, for example. In his autobiography, he tells of a time when he was preparing to give his first speech before the New Mexico State Legislature. He was nervous, and he invested much time in in study and and practice, complete with with pre-planned dramatic gestures. What I envision is what I did when I first joined the staff and and, uh, was first being called upon sometimes to preach. And I would, I would get my message ready over in the old building, and I would go upstairs in that old children's church area, and man, I'd just preach the paint off the walls. Man, I would, I would just sling spit, and I'd just, man, I would just, I was getting after it. And uh, there have been occasions through the years when I happen upon Brother Tyler, and he doesn't know it, but I heard him preaching his sermon. Here a while back, I was in my office, and I heard some yelling and screaming upstairs in the youth room. And I thought, ah, those kids. I, I go up there, and it's Brother Tanner, and he's, I mean, he is just, he, man, he's preaching. So I, I, that's what I envision this guy doing, okay? No amens or anything. We just give ourselves an amen. But he's preaching. And one evening, his mother overheard him practicing. <laughs> and and in, he ended his speech with the charge of the light brigade. When I read that, I thought, was it alfalfa or spanky? Had them firecrackers in his back pocket. Cannons to the right of me. Boom, 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 boom. Now, you young people, you'll have to Google that, okay? You guys with me on Spanky, little rascals? Come on, help me. All right. Cannons to the left of me. Boom, 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 boom. It was back when TV was funny. Very nice, she replied, for poetry. But you'll have to unlearn all of this. But mother, he protested. He reminded her that all the great speakers of the day were filled with, with rhetoric and oratory. Connie, she replied, all those trimmings are sinful. You are hiding yourself behind a lot of gestures. If you're afraid to be you, son, then you're throwing dust in God's face. He made you. If you have confidence in him, you'll relax and be just who you are. You do better to pray about it than to practice it. Whereupon she walked off with his oratory textbook. Hilton later said on the opening day of the legislature, I did pray about it. I faced the crowd, kept my hands at my side, and my mouth in a normal line, and said simply what I had to say and sat down. It worked out very well that day. It has ever since. And any time, if I'm tempted to phony it up a bit, I remember that that's lack of confidence in him 
And I look pretty silly throwing dust in the face of the infinite. Our critics can seemingly be pretty cruel, even if they are our mother. But when the criticism is well-timed and well-delivered, it can be invaluable. And we all would do well to heed it. In one particular Peanuts comic, I, I Facebooked this today, the scene is a Sandlot baseball game. Charlie Brown's pitching, Lucy's playing in the outfield, and she's out there yelling things like, put some stuff on it, get them out, let's win one for a change. So the batter hits the next pitch, and it, it, Lucy lets it fall, fall right at her feet. And in disgust, Charlie Brown yells, for someone who talks so much, how come you never catch the ball? Her reply was, I'm only here in an advisory capacity. <laughs> Don't you just love the Lucys of the world? They know how it ought to be done. Well, if you do this, and you do that, and you do it like this, you do it like that, and and they're all willing to give their input, but they never want to sign up. Amen? They, they, you, may, you may have somebody at work like that. And finally, you just want to hand them the wrench and say, well, have at it. Or throw the, the computer mouse at them and say, have at it. And they're always there, and, and, and they're always quick to, to give criticism, but, but they never want to sign up. And let me just say this, it's not the Lucy's of this world that make us better. But it's the advisors who are willing to work with us and do what they can to help us. They are the most profitable. Now, Solomon mentions something interesting here. He mentions the crackling of thorns under a pot. And he likens, the, likens it to meaningless praise and, and flattery of fools. Thorn branches were sometimes used <clears throat> in a fire if something needed to be heated up quickly. Thorn branches thrown on a fire would, would flame up with rapid intensity, uh, providing a, a short, um, hot burn. So if you needed to, to heat something up quickly, then you would throw thorn branches on the fire. Now, here's the truth about the fluffy flattery of fools. Like thorn branches, it flames up, makes noise, dies out, and then you need something else to stroke the fire of your ego. But the rebuke of a wise and loving critic can change your life forever. Can keep you from making mistakes that will hurt you and scar you for years to come. Learn to listen to the loving critics in your life. You'll always be better for it. These verses are, are not the only thing Solomon has to say about rebuke and correction. I'll just run through these real quick. Proverbs 10, 17, He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. 
Proverbs 12, 1, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. I'll make commentary on these. Pastor Tyler will do that in the future. Proverbs 15, 5, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Proverbs 17, 10, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Proverbs 25, 12, As an erring as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. Open rebuke, we know this one, is better than secret love. Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. One more, Proverbs 29, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. Former New York Yankees great Mickey Mantle recalls that as a teenager in, in the minor leagues, he began playing very poorly. And one day he, he called his dad. He was very discouraged. He, he was done. He was ready to quit. He was homesick. He was ready to go home, feeling sorry for himself. Calls his dad crying to come take him home. And when Elder Mantle arrived, Mickey expected some sympathy and some reassurance that that yes, you're right, son, it's, it's time, to, time to go home, it's, it's, it's too hard for you. But Charles Mantle jarred his strapping son, and here's what he said to him. Okay, if that's all the guts you've got, you might as well come home with me right now and work in the mines. <laughs> that kind of snapped him awake, and Mickey Mantle... Stuck it out that year, and, and history tells the rest of the story. So here's the point. We would all be the better for it, as I've said already a number of times, if we were willing to open ourselves up to the constructive criticism of a trusted friend or family member. But, it, but if or when we do, we dare not respond in a way that is defensive, and hateful. Such a response will leave our critics feeling that it's more wretched to give than to receive. So if we're going to invite the criticism, and we should, we must also be willing to receive it. Here's the second, the, the next thing, Ecclesiastes 7, 7 through 9, effort is better than ease. You still with me? All right, effort is better than ease. Verse 7, surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Verse 7 is talking about oppression through bribery. Uh, that's, that's the use of the word gift there. Or perhaps extortion would be a good word there. In essence, what Solomon is, is talking about is, is using money or some other asset to get your way without earning it. He says it will corrupt your integrity and it will destroy the purity of your heart. I thought back, Brother Kay, to 
years of, of history at Fellowship Baptist School and um, how that truth in so many words has been put forth to our students over and over and over again. Uh, somehow they, they think that cheating is the easy way to get through a pace until they get caught. And once they get caught, they have to go clear back to the beginning and do it all over again when all they had to do was do it right the first time. Yeah, just do it right the first time. It may be harder, but it's better. The thing that used to frustrate me the most about my boys, uh, Pastor Tyler, he's always up here telling on me about how bad a dad I was and how hard he had it growing up. Let me tell you something that frustrated me about both of my boys is that they would take an hour and a half to try and figure out how to make a 15-minute job easier. Like, dude, just do it. You could have been done and down the road by now. Listen, just because something may be easier doesn't mean it's better. It's easier as a parent to buy kids computers and televisions and, and, and iPads and iPhones and all kinds of little trinkets to keep them busy instead of spending time with them. But that doesn't make it better. It's always easier to grow a church by compromising that it is to, uh, than, to, than to stay true to the word. But that doesn't make it better. When you think back to the temptation of, of Jesus, he had the opportunity to, to take the easy way out as he was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. You can read that in Matthew chapter 4. The devil said, if you want food, just turn these stones into bread. He said, if you want fame, just leap from this temple into the arms of angels. He said, if you want followers, just bow down to me. And Jesus said no every time. Here's another illustration from the life of Christ. You remember he was in the, the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember that? And he was praying, and, and the Bible said his sweat was as if they were great drops of blood. And, and, and here was his prayer, O oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus was willing to do the will of his Father. And even though it was the hard way, we're talking about the way of the cross, it was the right way. The thought of the cross certainly helps us understand what Solomon meant when he said, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. <clears throat> the path Jesus took I mean, you know this, it, it led him through, it, through trials, mock kangaroo courts, beatings, the most violent and painful death that we can imagine. But the destination was an empty tomb, a glorious ascension, and a seat at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Sometimes effort is better than ease. 
Yeah. <laughs> Scott, take care of my light work, will you? <laughs> you know, I've got to get my shots in now because one day he may be my pastor. <laughs> and I'm going to have to be respectful. But until then, it's on. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Let's talk about that. Choosing the, the path of the just in our business dealings. It may be more difficult and it may be slower going at times, but in the end, it'll be more rewarding. Choosing the path of the just in our marriage may be more difficult at times, but in the end, it will be more rewarding. Choosing the path of the just in our ministry may be more difficult and slower going at times, but in the end, it will be more rewarding. Then let's look at verse 10 real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap it up tonight. <clears throat> Say not thou... What is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. The present is better than the past. I want you to listen to what one modern day writer had to say concerning this verse. He said, the good old days is a state of mind that has no coordinates in the real world. And it's just a few blocks south of the pot of gold at Rainbow's End. And it's another few blocks east of that entrancing fantasy land, what might have been. Today is always just short of yesterday's glory. Just shy of tomorrow's promise. But today is all we have. It holds all the stakes. Today is the only day we can directly make an impact. And all our hopes of a better life lie right there in the calendar box where you stand the day marked today. The present is better than the past because you can't do anything about the past. Now listen, as I stand here, there are so many things in my past that I wish I could go back and undo. But I can't. And I know I'm not the only person in here with those regrets. We all have things that we wish we could go back and do. But listen, I can do something about today. I can live in a way today that will keep me from making the mistakes that I made in the past. The title of this series is Life. How then should we live? And I would submit to you that we should live as though today were our last day on earth. I like this. We cannot afford to be paralyzed by the past or hypnotized by the future. We must be energized for the present. That's good. To quote the Victorian essayist 
Claire Ballack, he said, while you are dreaming of the future or regretting the past, the present, which is all you have, slips from you and is gone. So let's live for the glory of God and for the good of man while we have time to do it. That ought to be our goal.